0: ala alihi wa sahbihi We'll be continuing our series of uh, short reminders for a community-type halqa after Maghrib. So, based on where the prayer times are at this time of the year, uh, they are currently after Maghrib. Uh, the intention is for it to be about 15 minutes or so. If there are any questions afterwards, any comments, reflections, uh, then feel free to share or to ask, inshallah. I do also have some sour patch here, mashallah, so for all the youth who are here, you guys will get at least one piece, and then if you guys participate and answer questions or even offer comments and reflections, that is how you get more than one piece, mashallah. Okay, so Luqman isn't here. Dawood, can you be my my helper? Can you be my... the Candy runner. Okay, so right now you can start by offering, did you break your fast? Okay, with water, dates, you want sour patch? (laughs) So you can go around, you can offer everybody one piece, uh, just for being here, and then the other pieces uh, can be for comments or reflections, including grown-ups. You can offer grown-ups too, because you know, mashallah, sometimes grown-ups like candy as well. Okay, so last week we covered three wisdoms instead of two uh, just because some of them were a bit short So just for a very basic introduction, this book is called Hidden Blessings And it mentions 40 wisdoms behind calamities, difficulties, trials, and tribulations And these last couple years have been difficult for everyone in a variety of ways So the intention is for all of us to benefit from these reminders, inshallah We'll move on to wisdom 14 Did everybody get one or you offered one to everyone? Even on the girl side? They left? Okay. Okay, so we'll uh, resume with wisdom 14. Imposing unnecessary difficulty on oneself is not striving for Allah's sake. Hakim al Ummah, Rahimahullah said, uh, it's an honorary title of a scholar, the the original author of this work, Mawlana Al Sharif Ali Thanwi. Depriving one's nafs, lower self, of its due rights and undergoing unnecessary difficulty is not true striving for the sake of Allah Mujahada In fact, as far as possible, one should avoid putting unnecessary strain on the nafs and try to take an easy and comfortable route In terms of the commentary, Abdullah bin Amr ibn al narrates, so he is from the Sahaba, scholars from the Companions The Messenger of Allah said to me is it true that you fast all day and pray all night? I replied yes, Messenger of Allah. He said do not do that fast and break the fast, sleep and also pray. Your body has a right over you, your eye has a right over you, your wife has a right over you and your visitor has a right over you. It is enough for you to fast three days out of every month Every good action is multiplied by 10, so that is like fasting all the time But I was insistent and made things hard for myself. I said, O Messenger of Allah, I feel strong He said fast the fast of the Prophet of Allah Dawood Alayhi Salam But do not do more than that. I asked what is the fast of Dawood? He said half the time meaning you fast one day you break your fast one day when he was old This Sahabi Abdullah used to say, if only I had accepted the concession of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Moving on to wisdom 15, understanding the true meaning of striving for the sake of Allah. Hakim Al-Ummah said, there are two ways of achieving the ultimate objective of this path. One is difficult while the other is easy. Why not choose the easy way, especially as it yields the same results? By no means does striving for Allah's sake, mujahada, entail unnecessarily putting oneself through difficulty. If there is a well if there is a well here in the Madrasa in in that city, and another in a faraway city, which is two and a half miles away, would you consider it more virtuous to fetch water from the further away city in order to make wudu? Striving through difficulty and spiritual exercises are not the objective. However, they help in achieving the objective. The point is, achieving the objective does not require abandoning all enjoyment and pleasure. It only requires abandoning some enjoyment and pleasure. Any thoughts on this? Because I feel like this concept is often misunderstood unintentionally uh, by a lot of us as Muslims. Some people they think that by default all the time if it's harder you get more reward I think a key word here is unnecessarily. So if someone wants to go to the store to buy milk for their family, that's a good deed. You get reward for that. But do you get more reward if you force yourself to walk in the middle of the day in the Sacramento summer heat, if it's like 105 outside, to walk to the store to get the milk and then to walk back, do you get more reward for that? Or or would it be the same as driving and that's just unnecessary? It'd be the same. Right, so the, the concept of struggle for the sake of Allah is it depends on the context, right? So you don't go out of your way to make it un the keyword unnecessarily difficult. Um, that you're just making it hard on yourself for no reason. So like the example of wudu, do you get more reward if you make wudu in your bathroom at home, or if you walk two miles to the park and then you use the the bathroom there to make wudu and then you go? Home? No, it's it's unnecessary difficulty. There, there's no reason. Uh, for that. Does anyone have? So, this is where you can get extra candy if you want. Does anyone have any thoughts in connection with this? Any thoughts, reflections, even questions? Uh, usually, other people benefit from reflections that others share. I should just call on different people and get ready. So, uh, I have a question. So, mm-hmm. if you pass three days in a month, mm-hmm. So it would equal to like fasting the whole month. Yeah, because the the three would be multiplied by ten, so the the reward would be like you fasted the whole month. And th- this is understood to be referring. It, it can be any three days. It can you know whatever works for someone. Um, but what's what may be inferred from this is the white days, the 13th, 14th, and 15th uh, of the the lunar month. So based on the Hijri calendar, the Islamic month, those are known as the white days. So those are three days that are specifically recommended to fast. It could be any three days. So yeah, they're multiplied by 10. And that mathematical equation also ties in with when the Prophet says when he taught us the the value of fasting six days from Shawwal so the way that the Prophet mentioned it, the way that he described it is whoever fasts Ramadan and then follows it with six days from Shawwal then the reward is like they fasted uh, an entire lifetime and the the way that that breakdown can be understood is you fast a month of Ramadan, that's one month, multiplied by ten, that's ten months your average month, I mean, your average lunar month is thir- 29 or 30 days So, if you take 60 days and you divide it by 10, that would be 6 And even regarding those 6 days from shawal, there are different scholarly opinions regarding how the word min, how the word from, is understood Imam shafii understood fasting 6 days from shawal meant fasting 6 days from shawal, meaning from the month of shawal itself Imam Malik, his understanding, and of course these are both like major scholars uh, and and both very, this is why we have different valid opinions because there's so much depth in our deen. Uh, Imam Malik, his opinion was fasting six days from Shawwal means starting from Shawwal until the start of the next Ramadan. So Imam Shafi's understanding fast, fast six days within this one month. Imam Malik's understanding is if you fast six days, over the next 11 months Then that can be another interpretation from that um, So it, it, tie- it all ties in with the idea That a good deed is multiplied by 10 So so 3 days multiplied by 10 would be a month uh, Inshallah Any, Thank you for mentioning that Any other thoughts or questions? Reflections? Go ahead I also on Mondays, and Thursdays. Mondays and Thursdays Did you want a piece? Just for fun? Yes, yeah, sure Alright, mashallah all right. <laughs> so, good question. So, one way that you can, do, and most people do that, if they're going to fast a couple days in a month, or or if they're going to fast, um, even even like with the sixes of Shawwal, if they're going to fast it within the month of Shawwal, what some people do is they just fast them six in a row and they knock them out, and you know they do it sooner than later. Other people may plug those six days into Mondays and Thursdays throughout the month. So, if they were to take Uh, Three weeks, Monday and Thursday each week So you have two, four, six So that way you're kind of doubling up basically So you can have multiple layers to your reward right? So if you have the intention to fast For example, six days of shawwal and Monday and Thursday Or if somebody wants to fast the first nine days of Dhul-Hijjah Which we're in those days now So if somebody were to fast tomorrow, it'd be a double reward The niya, the intention for fasting uh, during the, those first Nine days Because technically on day 10 You don't fast Because it's the day of Eid um, But in in the first nine days So if someone fasts tomorrow It's within those nine days And it's also a Thursday right? So you're doubling up your reward Inshallah So good question Most people do that though well, They'll connect it with Mondays and Thursdays Yes sir Because you know the Arafah is on Friday You know and before we cannot fast on Friday, you know. Mm-hmm. Condition. If you want fast on Friday, after fast, mm-hmm. fast, to fast. Th- Thursday or Sat Sunday. To connect it with another day, either yeah. before or after, but fast right, right. Will be special, no? mm-hmm. they can fast the Very good question. Thank you for, for mentioning that. Um, so what what uh, our dear brother, may Allah bless you and your family always. Um, what he's what he's mentioning is that, generally speaking, Muslims would typically avoid isolating Friday as a day of fasting by itself. Um, the, if somebody were to fast a Friday, then the idea would be okay to pair it with a day before, uh, Thursday, or with the day after, as opposed to isolating it in and of itself. In, Excuse me, interestingly, Imam Malik, he observed the people of Medina that they didn't necessarily practice that. So you do have a little bit of a difference of opinion, but the majority opinion is what you're mentioning to avoid fasting just that one day. But because the day of Arafah is is once a year, and because it's such an awesome and important opportunity, even if somebody were to fast only that day, that you can't couple it with the day after, you can't fast on Heed. Right? So you're not going to fast on Saturday. Do you have to pair it with the day before? You don't necessarily have to. So even if somebody were to fast that day as a standalone day of fasting, you can because the day of Arafah is such an important uh, opportunity opportunity and event that becomes more important and that supersedes not fasting on Friday by itself. Does that make sense? So even if someone didn't fast days 1 through 8 and they wanted to only fast the day of Arafah, the ninth, which is on a Friday And the reward for fasting that day The best day of the year Is that your sins are forgiven for one previous year And then also for one year into the future uh, So it's, it's a really momentous opportunity That would be uh, perfectly okay Inshallah To uh, to still fast that day Even if it was only that day Thank you for mentioning that Jazakallah khair uh, one, Go ahead One more question Not related mm-hmm. to this topic But uh, just a general question So um, Sometimes we combine prayers like Maghrib and Isha and mm-hmm. Nasr. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so for Zohar, till what time we can pray? Uh, Good questions. For, for Isha, till mm-hmm. what time we can pray? Mm-hmm. In general? In general. Okay. So, uh, Zohar and Isha. Okay, so in, uh, in terms of, so there are two factors. One factor is the idea of combining, and then the, the other in general. Um, are you asking in general or on Hajj or because on Hajj in Arafah all the Hajj pray dhuhr and asr combined at dhuhr time no, in general. Right, so in general if you're traveling or not, not traveling? If you're not traveling, okay, so the good question. So the the default understanding is that one for dhuhr, asr, maghrib, isha is uh, that dhuhr comes in and at whatever time And then you have until Asr comes in, so at that time then it switches, right? it rotates basically from duhur time to Asr time And then Asr time you have until Maghrib, obviously you want to really try your best to avoid leaving it to the last five minutes or so of Asr as much as you possibly can Technically it would be acceptable even though there's an element of that being disliked but it's still acceptable so, for Asr, you have until Maghrib comes in, Maghrib, you have until Asha comes in, Asha, you have until Fajr comes in. Right? If somebody um, were to pray anywhere within those windows, that would be acceptable, inshallah. Um, so, the issue, <clears throat> so technically speaking, if someone is not a traveler and they're, let's say they're at home, whether it's Arafah or not, it, it, so you don't, you don't combine your prayers when you're not traveling I mean even when traveling you have different opinions The Hanafi opinion is that you shorten but you don't necessarily combine The only time that you combine based on the Hanafi understanding is within Hajj, within Arafah and then Muzdalifah uh, Those are the only exceptions But another uh, opinion is that when you're traveling you can combine Dhuhr and Asr uh, in, and shorten them in either of the two windows and then Maghrib and Aisha, you can combine them in either of the two windows. It's a classic difference of opinion. Um, both are acceptable, whatever someone is is comfortable with, and that's what that's what they should do. The the only exception that someone may combine their prayers if they're um, if they're not traveling is if they're like really sick, for example. Then I mean, there there are very specific uh, you know circumstances in which that may be acceptable. However. Um, that, that's kind of on a case-by-case case basis. Uh, does that help at all? Yeah, or yeah, 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 that answered my question. Thank you so much. Okay, no problem. Thank you for asking. Any other questions or comments before we move on? Just a little bit more. Maybe we should have time at the end for a random Q&A. Just open Q&A. Open Q&A sounds better than random Q&A. Okay, so we can do that. Let me just cover two more wisdoms because the next two are short. Wisdom 16, prescribed poverty, question mark. Hakim al-Ummah said, and we need to understand this term properly. A Sufi need not wear tattered rags or have nothing but a shawl in his possession, quote-unquote, on the contrary, if Allah has blessed someone with expensive clothes, he can become a Sufi while still wearing those very same clothes on the condition that he does so in the correct and prescribed manner, that is, with noble intentions. Uh, the, unfortunately, the term Sufi or Sufism has, has become this like often uh, blacklisted or, or demonized term, which it shouldn't be. You have a spectrum. You have what I would refer to as orthodox Orthodox Sufism or Suluk, or Tazkiyah or Ihsan within uh, the boundaries of Sharia which is exactly what it should be and that that's the, the term that's being used here is in direct connection uh, with that so doing your afkar in the morning in the evening getting up for Tahajjud fasting Mondays and Thursdays all of these concepts tie in with purification of the heart you're doing acts to bring you closer to Allah this is not referring to uh, any type of unorthodox Sufism, which you have a lot of weird stuff out there when it comes to a lot of those things. Of course, this isn't referring uh, this isn't referring to that. This is referring to uh, orthodox Tasawuf, basically. So it's not necessary. Like you don't have to wear tattered rags if someone is wealthy enough to to dress decently, they should dress decently and there's a hadith from the Prophet ﷺ in which he mentions that um, that Allah loves to see like the sign of his blessings on his servant meaning, if someone is very wealthy then what do you gain out of forcing yourself to wear like really really to look disheveled, to wear tattered clothes and to that's you're not supposed to do that you can still, and we talked about this earlier as long as you have the dunya in your hand and not in your heart, i.e. if you're wealthy and you wear nice clothes, that's wonderful. Give sadaqa. be humble, don't look down on other people if they don't have as nice of a car as you or as nice clothes as you. So to, to keep it in your hand and to not let it uh, poison the heart. The last wisdom that we'll mention, royal suluk. That sounds cool. Maybe we should use that title at some point. Hakim al-Um Suluk is royal. So another scholar saying this about him. Hakim al-Um Suluk is royal Suluk. In his Suluk, which is basically coming closer to Allah, treading that path of nearness to Allah, in his Suluk he does not require difficult spiritual exercises, strenuous spiritual exercises, severing one's relationships and ties, or abandoning all forms of pleasure and permissible enjoyment. Instead, he encourages his disciples to live in comfort and remain. Thus therein, he does this so that love for Allah is created within the heart, and so that one remains vitalized, because this will assist one in worshiping Allah. Allah only expects two things of us: to not go near sin in the least bit, and to keep a check on one's lower self nafs at all times. Okay, we can bookmark it there. Does anyone have any thoughts on any of these points, uh, especially this idea of like you can you can dress nicely uh, and still of course, be uh, a righteous believer, someone who uh, is very pious and a zahid, basically an ascetic, um, someone who's not overly attached to the dunya, someone who's in a healthy way disconnected from the dunya. Um, does anyone have any thoughts on that? Any reflections? Any questions? Maybe? Yes.